I'm Randy, one of the pastors. I uh, wanted to uh, welcome to, with us uh, Jerry Reddix. Uh, Jerry, I'm going to read his little thingy because it'll be easier since I don't know it. Um, we just, Claire and I just met Jerry. Clara met him about six months ago on the phone, and then we just met him in July at the Vineyard National Conference, and uh, we have uh, endearing hearts connected, I think, at the hip. Uh, but uh, Jerry is the coordinator for caring for leaders in vineyard missions. He's an ordained vineyard pastor. He supports both expatriate as well as national church planters in their spiritual and relational growth and healing. Jerry and his wife Val have been married for 42 years and have five children and three grandchildren. They've been ministering in the vineyard since 1981, which is one year before Claire and I. So he beat us in. Um, and they were uh, and, uh, kinship leaders uh, at Anaheim Vineyard. Jerry, uh, Jerry left his practice as a clinical psychologist in 1995 so that he and Val could uh, become full-time supported missionaries providing what's called member care to those engaged in bringing an incarnational presence of God's love to unreached peoples. Uh, they lived in England for four years where Jerry was assistant pastor of the Oxford Vineyard. I didn't even know there was a vineyard in Oxford. And they now live in Idaho up in the mountains in a very pretty area that we all would love to be at. (laughs) Jerry, thank Thank you. Thank you, Randy. So good to be with you all. Yes, it is beautiful up there uh, in Garden Valley where we live. And uh, we have a a missionary guest house that we built. We planned on, had had hopes for that for many, many years. And finally, the Lord allowed it to happen. We call our guest house Eagle's Landing. At first, uh, my wife wanted to call it Eagle's Nest, uh, but I said, we don't want people to stay that long. <laughs> so let's just call it Eagle's Landing. And uh, they come and go. Yes. So, yes. yeah. So we're, uh, we're very blessed to be in that little mountain community and welcome people from all over the world uh, who've come to, uh, to stay with us. Well, as Randy said, uh, my connect uh, at this point in Vineyard, uh, besides living in Boise and calling Vineyard Boise our home, uh, is uh, my role in Vineyard Missions. And so we wanted to share just a little bit with you about what is Vineyard Missions and uh, how are we structured and, and kind of what are we doing. But to give you an introduction, I'm going to ask, uh, we'll see the video that we played at the national conferences this summer. Just give you a little taste of that, and I'll fill you in a little bit more about Vineyard Missions and then uh, have a message to share with you this morning. So let's roll that uh, video. Be praying continually for the whole community. There's a king calling you, but he's outrageously hungry to find a people that will walk with him. Well, what does it mean for us to connect with people that we might encounter, whether here locally or internationally? Well, it's at the core of the gospel, right? So how do we sort of work through what we see in Revelation, which is that every tribe, every nation, every people group will be worshiping at the throne room. We want to see everyone liberated. We want to see uh, the gospel shared because we think when the gospel unfolds itself in a community, it's good news for those who are part of that community. We've got a lot of exciting things happening around the continent, and one of the places that I'm just really thrilled about is the work going on in Tanzania. 
We've had an active partnership there for about 10 years. Jared Boyd, great new leader. One of his first acts was to work with and focus his coaching and mentoring on one of the emerging leaders in Tanzania, Arnold Luago. One of the things that Jared and Arnold did was really intentionally to form a conversation around spiritual formation. One day, Arnold looks to Jared and says, Jared, I think I finally understand what you mean. You're talking about prayer as a conversation between friends. And so Arnold began to experience and discover more transformation in his own life, in his marriage, in his family, and even in the church as well. And Arnold then began to give away what he was receiving. So Arnold and his team gathered together cohorts of those interested in starting churches to learn about what it looked like to start kingdom-oriented churches in their town. And I'm excited to say that a number of kingdom-oriented churches have been planted in cities around Tanzania. I think it goes without saying that the kingdom of God grows and swells when there's unity throughout the world. When we don't just see our communities as the only mission field, God works in all kinds of ways all throughout the world. And when we open ourselves up to the billions of ways that God reaches souls to turn hearts and minds and souls towards the love of God, then it blows the roof off our very minimal way of seeing the gospel within our context. As you seek after God for your own mission in your church, the question you might consider is, what's one relationship you can form that can impact the world? So it's been my privilege to be part of the Vineyard Mission leadership team for about 10 years, 11 years now. And in that, um, I've been able to visit many, many countries and many of the partnerships we have with um, uh, leaders in the emerging church, Vineyard Church, and other countries. So you heard a word in there called partnerships. Let me just briefly say what that is. Um, And as I do... Um, realize that partnerships are only one of the ways in which vineyard churches are involved around the world. Uh, But partnership would be, uh, let's say, our partnership in Indonesia. There are over 30 uh, vineyard churches in Indonesia, uh, and they're led by uh, indigenous leaders. But in the U.S., we have 10 churches that are part of the Indonesia partnership. Uh, So what what we see is that if individual churches are partnering together they're able to pool their resources uh, and, and support a work of God in another country and do it together in partnership. And so there are U.S. churches in partnership connecting with a particular country and the emerging vineyard church in that country. Uh, and so that is one of the primary ways the vineyard is involved. And uh, there are, are vineyard churches in 60 countries. Uh, so uh, partnerships is is a primary way in which we do that in my job is to support those partnerships and to support those emerging leaders uh, and care for their soul and encourage them. Uh, we believe in leader development, and that leader development is something we need as vineyard partnerships and uh, to be humble, growing, receiving uh, God's transformation in our lives. And together with our uh, partners in the other country, Seek the Lord together to see what God is doing there and to highlight 
our own transformation. You might have heard that in the video too, that spiritual formation or being formed and transformed into the image of God is a part of uh, uh, Jared Boyd meeting with Arnold in Tanzania, just to be able to uh, say, how is your soul? Also, there's other ways in which vineyard churches are involved around the world, and I only had to look as far as the back of your bulletin, (laughs) holding it up for the last time, historically, (laughs) uh, that Kenya, Hungary, India, Los Angeles, and connecting with military here in San Antonio. These are ways you, as a fellowship, are already involved in mission. So lots happening uh, in the vineyard, uh, in your church, and in the churches uh, around the country and the world connecting and partnering. So that's, uh, that's just a little bit about uh, Vineyard Missions. One of the great privileges I've had is uh, to go and provide uh, times of rest and refreshment uh, and a, what you might call a retreat for uh, leaders in other countries. And it's just a joy to see people come and we give them three or four days uh, to rest, to reflect in God's word, to pray, to uh, slow down uh, from the busyness and encounter God's presence and learn a rhythm of life, of how to do life and ministry in a way that isn't pressed, that isn't uh, frantic, in a way that really counts on the presence of God in us and working through us as we do our ministry. So it's a huge privilege uh, to be part of that and meeting uh, our vineyard brothers and sisters, leaders in other countries. So that's just a bit about Vineyard Missions. And uh, I was here last night for a meeting at uh, Randy and Clara's house to meet with uh, some people to talk about that very thing. How do we support our overseas uh, partners and our local U.S. partners uh, in their own spiritual formation? So that's part of the joy of uh, my being here and a privilege to speak. I bring you greetings from my friend and colleague Ray Maldonado, uh, Pastor Ray, uh, Pastor Vineyard Church in Chicago for many years. His son David is still there doing that. And Ray was coming. Uh, He's a part of our Puerto Rican partnership. So he's the partnership leader there and for Cuba. And he's a regional coordinator, someone who helps with uh, the Caribbean area. And uh, he just recently moved to Florida, lives in a manufactured home in the path of a hurricane. And he said, Jerry, I think I'm not coming yesterday. Uh, I should probably stay at home and we should probably prepare and uh, maybe move further north. (laughs) <laughs> and, and into something with brick and mortar. So anyway, uh, Ray is doing that, but he sends his greetings to you and wishes he could be here and, uh, uh, and share with you too. Well, today we're going to be uh, considering uh, uh, Matthew chapter 14. So we'll get there uh, in a minute, but let me give you some background uh, to, uh, to that chapter. So Jesus uh, will pick this up where he was in a solitary place a solitary place, he was reflecting on the death of his cousin John, who was known as John the Baptist. And John had been murdered by Herod the Tetrarch just a few days before this, before this scene is, is described. So Jesus went with his disciples to be away from the press of the crowds, to temporarily step away from ministry, that outward ministry, And in that moment, he needed solitude, that place where he could be present with God, a place to be quiet, a place to pray, a place to be with his closest friends, 
and a place to be grateful for the life of John, who had faithfully prepared the way for Jesus. And John's violent death would no doubt just be this poignant awareness to Jesus of the suffering and the death that he would face on the cross. A lot happening for him, but he got away for solitude. Those of you who uh, know the story are kind of smiling right now because you realize he went away for solitude and got about that much of it. And uh, 5,000 men, plus who knows how many women and children, found Jesus in this solitary place. <laughs> and uh, he, began to, he had compassion on them, and he began speaking to them and caring for them and, um, and ministering to them, being with them in that moment. And uh, as he did, as he was there with them and able to focus on them, uh, he was able to meet their needs in that moment. I think in that solitude time, though, before the crowds came, Jesus was both remembering and looking forward. He was considering the past, um, John's ministry, uh, his life on earth, uh, his growing Uh, He's considering his connection with God the Father and God the Spirit. Um, He's considering the life of uh, of John and what that really meant and all the prophecies leading up to Jesus' coming and and his public ministry. So he was considering the past and he was considering the future. But I want to point out uh, the obvious. He was also doing all of that in the present moment. He was reflecting, but doing so in a moment in time. And what's so important about that for us, this moment in time when he was reflecting on the past and looking at the future? I'm going to share a a quote and a few thoughts from a book that's uh, written by John Kostler. He's a professor at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. This book just came out this year. It's called Practicing the Present. Practicing the Present. The subtitle is The Neglected Art of Living in the Now. And uh, here's, uh, here's, here's what he wrote. One of the most important implications of living in the present, uh, one of the most important implications of this is that time is where God meets us. If time is the medium in which we do all of our living, then it's also the context within which all of our interactions with God take place. As far as our experience is concerned, this is always in the present. When God meets us, he meets us in the here and now. And he goes on to say this, uh, yet the same Bible that has a theology of history and a theology of the future also has a theology of the present. And we've often not been trained to see it, he said. And so that's what I'd like to consider today, this truth that God is with us now, at this moment. As as I'm speaking to you, as you're listening, as you sit here, in this very moment, God is with us now, in this present moment. Well, let's read this text. I'll start in uh, Matthew 14, in verse 22, and let's, let's consider this point about Jesus in the present. So here's the text from Matthew 14. 
verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. This is after all the feeding of of the 5,000 when he said that famous thing to them, you feed them. And the story that followed as he fed the uh, crowd, as he multiplied the food, but they fed them uh, with his supply in that moment. So immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. I think I would have been too. It's a ghost, they thought, they said. And they cried out in fear. They cried out in fear. And as they did, this is what happened. Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word all to the surrounding country. And people brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Want to consider... This word immediately that we heard in this text. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. So we have to back ourselves up when we think in real time. Some of you are storytellers and you love to tell stories and when you do it's like we're right there with you, you know, as it was happening. Well, we try to imagine, well, what was happening for these disciples? They just had this huge busy day of feeding 5,000 plus people. And Jesus said, now get in that boat and go ahead of me to the other side. How are you going to get there, Jesus? And we don't know all the thoughts that they had. How will you get to the other side? But they heard his command to go immediately. And so they got in the boat and off they went. And I have this feeling. I have a feeling Jesus knew what the weather was. And I have a feeling some of the disciples who were fishermen knew what the weather was. And they got in the boat anyway. And they went. And Jesus knew there would be wind, and it would be a heavy wind, and it would be against them. And uh, if any of you are sailors or been in boats, um, you realize that the wind, uh, how do you know it's there? Waves are big, spray is flying. And I can only imagine some of these uh, disciples who knew about boats thinking, you know, a bunch of landlubbers here in the boat with us, you know, if you could just help us a little more, you know, we'll be okay, we can make this through. But it was a lot of work, working against the wind. And in that moment, I'm wondering, as they were working with this, 
if they were aware and feeling secure that Jesus had sent them and that he would help them get there. I wonder. Maybe some of them were, maybe some of them weren't. But we do know this. When Jesus appeared walking on the water, one of the, one of the uh, versions of this says, as if he was going to walk past them. As he was walking on the water, they recognized him. And I think they recognized him in that moment of all being worked up, agitated, working hard, rowing, whatever they were doing to bail the boat out. In that moment, they saw Jesus. They were aware of him. Awareness is very important. Some of you know the word, the term situational awareness. You know that from security. Maybe you know it from from other, other reasons. But in that moment, they noticed. I want to say that noticing is so important. Sometimes I'll pray, Jesus, help me notice you. I know you're here. Help me notice you. Where are you? Well, in the noticing of him, their attention was drawn to him. And they were scared. Like, what is this? They hadn't seen this before. They'd seen a lot of miracles. This was so unusual, but there he was. Is that him? And Peter said, Lord, if it's you. You know, sometimes we have an awareness. We think, is that the Lord? Is he here? What is he showing us? Peter did a very practical thing. And in the vineyard, we like to talk about just being practical and practically supernatural. And Peter asked the obvious question. If it's you, then tell me to come to you. Peter wanted to be with him in that moment. Not later. He'd just been with them. They're going to go somewhere and he'll be with them again. But in that moment, Peter said, let me come to you. And I want to suggest to us that's a very important phrase. Jesus, if it's you in this worship time, if it's you that I'm aware of right now, let me come to you. There's something in Peter, and I think in us too, that's drawn to be with Jesus, the one who can walk on this water, the one who came to be with them, didn't leave them in this storm, in this, in this situation alone. He came to be with them. If it's you, Lord, let me come to you. And he said, come. See, in the moment, he said, come. Peter had to respond in the moment. There's something very important about the moment when we're aware that Jesus is there. And Peter had enough experience with Jesus to trust when he said, come. And he had to make a decision in the moment. All decisions are made in the moment. We're going to talk about how our past may affect the way we do make decisions. We'll get to that. But in that moment, Peter had enough connectedness with Jesus to say, I'm coming. If it's you, and Jesus says, come on. Come be with me. Come be with me. Why would he, why that? I mean, why get out of the boat? I mean, you know, I'm a sailor. I've been out in the ocean. I, I don't know that I'd want to do that. But he was so eager to be with Jesus that he overcame whatever fears might have been there and went. And so we know what happened. He got out. He walks. Then he got overwhelmed by his circumstances. I want to remind us that there's times when we're saying yes to Jesus, when we're really moving towards him, when we really know that we know that he's called us and that he's there, and then all of a sudden we're overwhelmed again by the immediacy of the circumstance. And that's what happened to Peter. He became more aware of that, it would seem, than of Jesus calling him. 
And Jesus immediately, there's the word again, reached out to him to help him. Lord, help me. I want to say that's a really good prayer. You know, when we're responding to Jesus and we're moving forward and it's feeling kind of good, and then we're distracted by our circumstances again, sometimes very painful circumstances, it's okay to say, Jesus, help me, to say it again. He understands the situation. He reaches out to Peter immediately, takes his hand, and they walk together into the boat, get in the boat. And he said to him, he said to him, where's your faith? You got a little faith. But let me tell you, that little faith got him out of the boat. And that little faith helped him call out to Jesus. So let's not put down little faith. Lord, save me. And then he asked the question, why did you doubt? I think we have doubt for a number of reasons. One of them is, is that we have um, reason to believe that God will not come through for us. Or we have reason to believe that we don't understand how he comes through. Because we know bad things happen to good people. And maybe something bad will happen. And, and will God be there in that, in that moment? So there's reasons why. God understands those reasons why we doubt. He understands them very well. And he's still saying, here, here's my hand. Come on. Even when you get distracted. And so I take great courage from this story about Jesus and the disciples. That Jesus is with them. And he made himself known to them in a very, very practical way. And he gets in the boat and the storm is calm. I've gotten in the boat sometimes with Jesus and the storm hasn't been calmed yet, but I'm still glad he's there. <laughs> Very glad he's there. Very glad that he's there. Being present is so important. And to be present with Jesus. I want to suggest that being present with other people is very important too. I remember one day driving back from the office. I was in Southern California. Uh, had a, a private practice and, made hospital calls that day, had been in my office, and I had about a 20-minute ride home. And in that ride home, I would debrief the day so that when I got home, I could be present with my wife and my two young children. Because I know how distracted I could be. I, I realized the tyranny of, well, what comes next, and what broke at home while I've been gone, and what other things have happened, and what's going to be required, and what about tomorrow, and what about tomorrow's schedule, and what about this this person I just saw in my office and praying for them that uh, they can connect and stay connected enough and, and not attempt suicide again. All of that's happening as I'm driving home and I'm asking God, help me be present with you so I can be present with them. I think we have to prepare to be present too and I had to kind of review the past, put it in the hands of God who holds the past and holds all the people in the future and holds me and my family present with him so I could be present with them when I got home. There's kind of this tyranny, really, of uh, missing the presence. Eugene Peterson puts it this way, and he's quoted in, in, in uh, Kessler's book, Practicing the Present. And here's a quote from Eugene Peterson. He talks about the importance of honoring time. He says this, that one of the most common ways that we desecrate creation is the profanation of time. For us, time is simply a commodity. 
It's something we buy or we sell. Time is like money. It's a resource that we invest or we squander. Time is more than a measure. Time is a gift of creation. It is not an accident of our material existence, but a creation of God. As such, time is sacred. Time is the medium in which we do all of our living. Peterson explains when time is desecrated, life is desecrated. This is where we do our living in this present moment, in time. Jesus said it just before his ascension. We see this in Matthew 28, verse 19. He said, Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. He's about to ascend. He's been with the disciples. They've seen the resurrected Jesus. They've been with him, touched him, seen and know that he's really real. He's really true. His resurrected body, he's present with them. And now he's about to ascend into heaven. He says, I want you to know this. I'll be with you always, even to the end of this age. How would he do that? We know as we read the story that in Jerusalem they waited and and God the Spirit came and convinced them, filled them, made them aware that God was with them. And that changed everything. We call that the start of the church. When they knew that they knew that the living God was living in them, with them, and his Spirit was with them, Jesus was with them. And when I think about the past, I think of this Matthew 10 about the sparrows. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care? How is that? Is it just poetic? Or does God have the capacity and the care to even know it? I don't think that the computer model is sufficient to understand the immensity of God's presence. He's not lost in data. He's fully aware at every moment. Luke 12, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. He's so aware of us that it is, uh, just blows my mind. I just can't comprehend that at this very moment in time, as I'm speaking to you, as you're sitting here listening, God is aware at that level of 7 billion people simultaneously, knows their story, is with them, And nothing misses him. How is it that this awesome God who can step in a boat and speak to the wind and it's calm be so aware of his creation? But he is. He's that aware of us right now in this very moment. He's so aware. He holds the past. He knows all the past. He knows where you were last week and last year. And what was happening in your life to this, in this detail. And he also holds the future. We have a future and a hope that is secure for us as followers of Christ. A secure future in the loving presence of God when we die. But I want to say that we also have a moment right now where that living God who holds the past holds the present, is with us. And he's holding your life right now. Now in my journey, there have been times where I've had to reflect on the past 
in order to understand my present experience. Now, as a psychologist, you'd think, okay, well, you went to school, studied that, and you, you, you thought about it. But let me tell you, as it happens for many psychologists and counselors, um, I didn't know it at the time, but I kind of got in it because I really needed a lot of healing. <laughs> and God began to reveal that to me. Uh, and my own experience of depression and anxiety was pretty intense. And I had a past that was full of pain. And I hadn't really processed that pain. I hadn't really dealt with that pain. I had just kind of moved on from that pain. But that pain was still working in the background for me. It was My past was in my present, and it was um, defining who I was at some level and how I tried to make my way through life and how I dealt with the present moment. So my past included some pretty severe sexual abuse, some of it in a church setting. And I can remember that time in second grade coming down the slide in the playground when I said, nobody is ever going to hurt me again. And in that moment, I made this vow that that was that. I will never be vulnerable so that I could be hurt again. And I began to live my life around a scenario that said, got to protect yourself. Bad things happen. Just be very, very careful. And I moved a lot, too. So we had moved communities. I went to many, many different schools in different states. And I was really cautious. That was my life. And I was very hidden as well trying to push all that aside. All I knew was, here's a new place, a new school, new people. Watch out. Don't get mugged like you did at the other school. Watch out for this. Watch out for that. And be careful. So I was living this be careful life. And then I met Jesus as a senior in high school. And as I did, I began to realize that there was this love of a God who was with me in the present. And it was so powerful and so overwhelming that something began to change in me even before I knew what it was. But what it was is this, is that God was inviting me. The God who held my past and holds my past was inviting me in the present moment to come and know that some of that trauma, some of those decisions I had made that were hurting me and leaving me depressed and anxious, that he was holding those. And there was a way forward. And he helped me begin to process that trauma and to move forward in the present moment. I had to choose healing. I had to choose to be with people. And I began to be with some safe people that God brought to me. And that journey took many decades. And in some ways, it's still going on. But what I want to encourage you with is this. I've come to have a security in God because I've experienced Him in the present moment. And those present moments add up, and they're part of my past now. And I want to suggest to us as I'm closing that in your life, one of the ways that you might say, Jesus, if it's you, I want to come to you. One of the ways you might say, in this moment, in this storm, where are you, Jesus? Help me find you. Help me know you. One of the ways we can do that is if you would be willing just for this next 30 seconds to consider a time when you actually felt loved and connected to Jesus. Or a time when you just had something really positive happen for you that was very loving and affirming. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Just ask the Holy Spirit, would you remind me of one of those times? So in this present moment, if you would... Take that memory, and and if you would appreciate God for that, 
I'm thinking of the memory of sitting in my living room in Garden Valley looking out over the mountains and the Lord sitting next to me and just saying, Jerry, I brought you here for your healing and health, not just the missionaries who will come. This is for you too. And Jesus, I appreciate that, that you thought ahead and that you knew I would be there and that you brought me to a place. You're so good. I appreciate your lovingness. I appreciate your thoughtfulness. And can you appreciate God? What about his character comes forth from that memory that you had? Could you just whisper that to him? I see you as loving or caring or whatever it was. And you may need some time to practice this uh, later today. But as you do, and as you appreciate God, something happens in your brain. Your brain begins to wake up. What we might call the relational circuits in your brain are lighting up to be aware that God is with you right now. That same God who was with you then is with you now. And as He is with you now, I would encourage you I would encourage you just to reach out and say, Lord, help, or Lord, thank you, or whatever it is, whatever your immediate circumstances are. Jesus, help me be aware of your presence right now. So Jesus, as we are each in our own way aware of your presence right now, as we close this time together. Spirit, would you make Jesus very real to us, as real as we can let it be, as, as real as we can take it in, Jesus. Let us know that you're here in this moment and that you, we are not alone in the storm, that you hold our past, that you hold our future, and that we can be secure in your presence now to go into the future and to let go of the pain of the past. Let your spirit flow, Lord, in your people today. Make us, help us, be aware of your presence right now. So if something is stirring up in you that, uh, yeah, this is true, I want you to, as we conclude, find someone to just tell them this little story. Tell them about your connection and where Jesus was and, and then uh, what you appreciate about that. Say it out loud to someone. But if what's on your mind is that you need to know he's here now and maybe you're struggling to remember he's been with you, we want to invite you to stay for prayer. There's a prayer team um, Pastor Randy will come up and, and take over from now. But there's a prayer team, people to help you, sit with you, to go to that solitary place like Jesus did, to remember the past, to be with the God who holds the future, and to experience him right now. Lord bless you. It's been a joy to be with you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jerry. That was helpful. So we're just going to go ahead and, and conclude. I'm just going to pray a blessing over you and then follow 
his lead. If you're open to that, go ahead and just turn to somebody next to you before you get up and, and wander and do what y'all would do and just share with the person near you or someone around you what that experience was. And if you would like prayer, there will be folks up here that would be happy to pray with you. So might you know the amazing presence of God in the present moment of each day and the present moments of your life. Might you more and more grow in being aware of his presence and in that his love for you and his power to help. Even as he reached out to help Peter, so he is ready and available to reach out and help you. Might you receive and experience that presence of God today and each day in Jesus' name. Let it be so. Turn to somebody, um, share with them what that experience was, and or head on up and we'll have some folks up here that will pray with you. God bless. See you next week.